0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is on. 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 Welcome to another edition of the Dome Patrol on to Paint. No. Oh, and And of course, I welcome my friend, my colleague, the one and only blue check verified, (laughs) Ross Jackson. Ross, welcome back, man. I'm glad to do this again.
1: Hey, brother. Always a pleasure to be here with you, man. Thanks as much. Thanks so much, as always, rather, for having me on, man. You know, we're keeping busy, we're keeping the grind going, brother. So I'm glad to be here with you. Football never sleeps. Never Never sleep. (laughs) Never sleep. So
0: the last time we talked was on the eve of this, you know, some of the schedule had come out and we were waiting mm-hmm. for more. And now that it's come out, Saints have eight televised games, two on Sunday night football, two on Monday night football, one Thursday night game. Uh, well, two Thursday night games, it night. also mm-hmm. also counting um, Thanksgiving, two games of the week. It's it, I don't think that there will be a drop-off. There is some concern uh, for television ratings with Drew Brees gone, But Saints fans are ravenous for the Saints no matter who's under center.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. absolutely. Like, no matter what, they're gonna be a draw. And in fact, they might even be more of a draw right now because there's intrigue and like, what is this team? What do they look like? Were they? So there's even maybe more of a national pull because they've become a national storyline as opposed to just a local storyline. Whereas usually the national storyline for this team hinges upon whether or not somebody's in trouble or whether or not they're winning, right? And so, you know, if they're a playoff team and they become somebody that's a national story, but as of right now, they're national no matter what because you have this life after Drew Brees isn't going to be Taysom Hill who gets a ton of national attention for better or for worse. And of course, the Jameis Winston storyline can he redeem himself and can he, you know, rebuild his career in New Orleans starting with the 2021 NFL season? And can this team win despite, you know, uh clashing with everyone's understanding of the way that the salary cap works. Like there's so many different storylines here that give the Saints a lot of intrigue on a national focus.
0: And Sean Payton as well, just the focus mm-hmm. on him uh, right. to see what he can do and the fact that he has won uh those the, the games that he's won the last two seasons without Drew Brees. It certainly becomes like the New England Patriots situation in, in some regard, um considering mm-hmm. that Tom Brady is still playing. But sure the, the spotlight last season was heavily on Bill Belichick to see what he could do post um, uh, Tom Brady. So I think yeah. that the same thing is in effect for the Saints, especially um, considering that they should still be competitive within that division. New England right. faced so many challenges last year. The Saints have challenges, but they're not nearly in the position that the Patriots were
1: in. No, not at all. And Sean Payton's in a much more comfortable position than Bill Belichick was in, too, because Bill Belichick was actively having to prove his value as a coach without Tom Brady, while Tom Brady was over there in the NFC, proving his value without Bill Belichick. That's not going to be the same case for Sean Payton. There's no immediate competition with Drew Brees being with another team. Drew Brees always said it's New Orleans or nowhere. And as of right now, it's nowhere. Drew Brees is retired. So that puts Sean Payton in a position where the only thing he has to compete with apparently is Kevin James. But outside of that, he's got, (laughs) but outside of that, his focus is full steam ahead. You know what I mean? No distractions, no, no competition, no petty feud, nothing like that Outside of the ones that he creates with the Carolina Panthers and Joe Brady over and over again. But I mean, the guy is in a position now to be able to prove that, you know, hey, the eight and one record without Drew Brees wasn't a fluke. Uh, And that should already be proven because he did it with Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill. But can he do it now with a full time starting quarterback, building a new system entirely around a new quarterback?
0: Let's hit on that for a second to Kevin James, because do we have to? Yeah, (laughs) because I'm like you. I saw your tweet. About how this is getting stranger and stranger. It was already strange so when weird. it was announced that Kevin James, who bears no spiritual, physical, emotional—not uh, so
1: even like shocked. nearly, not even nearly as like you know, like I would say, I would say Sean Payton's pretty charismatic, and charismatic is not a word I would use to describe Kevin James.
0: And he's also got that that level of intensity and command that you yes. get from a Kevin. No, Kevin James has never played an authority figure. And Sean Not a Pete, real one. Anything <laughs> is a definitive
1: authority figure. Absolutely,
0: the man yes. comes off in charge wherever room he's in. Yeah. And so it, now that it's fully fleshed out, and we're seeing that this is purely an Adam Sandler production, it's yes. there are three Sandler yeah. last names yeah. in this movie, and none yeah. of them are Adam. But right. Just a ton of those people who have appeared in every one of his bootleg movies. Right. This feels bad. This is like a disaster waiting to happen.
1: It's wild. It's very wild. Apparently, Sean Payton's daughter's boyfriend had something to do with this as well. And Sean Payton has signed off on the script reportedly. I would almost feel better if, if, if Adam Sandler was actually in it. Simply because of the fact that, like, with Adam Sandler comes a level of production that has to meet a certain standard because of his status, and everything like that. And so, it's not great. It's not always perfect by any means. Like me wrong, but you can't name a Kevin James movie that was better or treated with more, let's say, attention than an Adam Sandler movie, right? Like, I would almost feel better if Adam Sandler was in the damn movie at some point.
0: I don't want to see Sean Payton mall Cop.
1: You know. <coughs> No, no, none of that. None of that. Get that out of here. I know it's wild. It's it just absolutely feels wild. very
0: bad. It just feels very bad. Like if you were going to make the Sean Payton story, even if you wanted to make a comedy and Sean Payton is certainly a person who has a sense of humor. Oh, yeah. This ain't the dude to do it. And it just, it, I don't see how he's going to pull off that gravitas, just that yeah. weight of being Sean Payton. Cause right. I think there's, I think we both agree that story of, of just the, that year there's some amazing stuff that could be mined there.
1: Yes, and like, and that's one of the reasons why I was surprised to hear that it was going to be a comedy in the first place. Because I thought maybe like, okay, well, there's actually like some really, really phenomenal stuff that came from all of this. Are they going to talk about that in a serious manner? And we kind of questioned that when we saw the Kevin James thing. Now they've added Taylor Lautner. They've added uh, who is it? Rob Schneider, I think that they added to it as well. And it's like, who are these people? And who are they playing? what are they doing? Like, I don't know, man. It, it's all very weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's all very weird, but well, am I going to watch it? Probably.
0: Yeah. Cause we'll watch it as a train wreck.
1: Yeah, and I can't wait to come back. It'll be a very different conversation than what we had about Judas and the Black Messiah. Yes. It'll be a very, very different episode. I
0: doubt we'll be pushing that for Oscar consideration. <laughs> I just don't see it. Because it's probably gonna be on Netflix. I can't oh, imagine. Oh, it has
1: it. to be a straight to Netflix kind of release. Like <laughs> theater theaters are just now starting to reopen. Like movie theaters are just now starting to reopen and it's like, hey, we have this Kevin James movie. They're like nah, about, it's cool. about we'll close. A coach. Yeah, we'll close. We'll close. It's cool. We'll be fine.
0: The viewing parties around New Orleans will be hilarious because oh. there will be people getting together to watch this. And the yes. comments the day after on Twitter will be amazing. Just yes. amazing. Yes. To tr- transition back to the football, though, I had to hit that one because oh, you man, mentioned that yeah, I had absolutely, to
1: hit it. Absolutely.
0: Um, ESPN has put out its power rankings, its latest ones. It has a Saints ranked 18,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: I found when I looked at the list of NFC teams in particular, I was surprised. Yeah. Tampa Bay, I get it. Sure, I think the Rams are high at four. Mm -hmm. That feels high. Green Bay at five feels high right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Seattle at eight feels high. As good as Russell Wilson is, they weren't a top eight team last year. Right. San Francisco at
1: nine. That one is wild to me. (laughs) A rookie quarterback? Right. (laughs) At best. Like the best situation is with a rookie quarterback. Like.
0: So you're talking about them jumping into the top 10 in the league this year. I mean, that's Arizona at 11 is a surprise to me too, because you're talking about them making a big jump. And I didn't see that last season out of them. Right. I get that you added JJ Watt, but JJ Watt hasn't been JJ Watt in two years. Right. And then the Vikings at 13 Dallas at 16 feels like a lot of speculation as well. Dallas going to be starting a lot of rookies on defense. Dak Prescott has to come back to form. The Vikings still have Kirk Cousins.
1: The yeah, there's Saints. a seal in there. <laughs> like, come on, you know.
0: So, to me to the, to me, the Saints at 18, considering the division that they're in, considering what they do have coming back, just feels like a huge underestimation at this point.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. And look, I'm let them sleep. Kind of a attitude about it, of course. But it is interesting to see where. They decided to project forward and where they didn't. And they very specifically did not decide to project forward for the New Orleans Saints. Or if they did, they have a much poorer expectation of that projection than what any of us are seeing locally because what we're seeing is an offense that could potentially be more exciting next season that opens up a little bit more that threatens a bit more it'll still mostly be conservative i think but it'll challenge it'll threaten and then it'll cause opportunities elsewhere because of the fact that this offense can operate 30 40 yards down the field all of a sudden so i do think that there's that but look if you have a question at the quarterback position and particularly a quarterback battle, right? Like there's questions at the Green Bay quarterback position because you don't know what's going on with Aaron Rodgers, but you're pretty sure he's going to stay. You could look at the quarterback situation in San Francisco. To me, the quarterback situation in San Francisco is far more dire than the quarterback situation in New Orleans. So that was a big question mark for me. And then you have young quarterbacks all over the place, too, to where, like, you had no problem. But you also had a veteran quarterback showing up with the Los Angeles Rams. No problem projecting forward there. So it's just interesting where you see the decision to project forward positively versus where it's not. But there are also some big question marks for the Saints over on the defensive side. I mean, you have at least one hole that you've had to fill over the course of the offseason at all three levels of the defense, secondary, second level linebacker, as well as with the defensive line. So maybe that becomes a part of it. But honestly, like. You look at what the Saints have been able to do in terms of their drafting and, and as well as these contributors are rounds two, three and four that the Saints continue to bring in. I mean, I think you should be able to project forward and favorably for the Saints in 2021, it's at least a little bit more favorably than 18th.
0: Yeah, because when I look at the Rams and, and we both talked about Matt Stafford as being a good fit for the Saints, potentially. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we, we know his arm talent. We know his ability. But Matt Stafford can can have his interception problems. You mm-hmm. still wonder about the Rams running game to some right. extent. to if they And that offensive line as well, if they're if they're going to be able to protect him on a consistent mm-hmm. basis, their wide receivers, a couple of them coming off of injury um, right. or, and still getting back. And then that defense last year, as good as it was, it had moments where they gave up points.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, And they're in a d- very difficult division. When you're talking about three teams and, and they're projecting three of them to do what, for all four of the NS- all four, teams, yeah, all four in that top 16, I don't see how you can project that the Rams are going to be that high because there have to be losses if you think the rest of the division is that good.
1: Yeah, everybody else in the division top 15, so how is one of them at all in the top five? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, yeah it, it really doesn't to me. And and the other part of it is, is I think that I, the, the strange way that Jameis Winston is perceived, because right. on the one hand, you have him as this weight a bit carrying the Saints down as an uncertainty, but you have people out there projecting him as a dark horse MVP candidate in some cases. And then on the other side, you have people who, who are rating him just above Justin Fields among starting quarterbacks. The right. wide range of opinions on Jameis certainly have an impact on how people view the Saints. But I think you know that 24 again feels low for Jameis among quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. I think it's more likely that he is he reaches a Kirk Cousins type level. Sure. Than he. He's 24th. It seems to me like yeah. you're, I could count on Jameis. He's going to give me 3,500 to 4,000 yards a season. If he's a right. starter, he's going to give me 25 plus touchdowns this season. If he's a starter, the main thing we're asking about is interceptions and we know he won't be on the field. If he's throwing interceptions.
1: Right. Right. That's very true, too. I mean, this is the advantage that the Saints have with the fact that they've got two quarterbacks here. And oftentimes the mantra is if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. But with the New Orleans Saints and with what they have here, they've shown their ability to utilize two quarterbacks over the course of the last four seasons, three seasons, I guess I'll say. But regardless, I mean, you're absolutely right. If if James Winston goes out there and throws, you know, two pick sixes to open a game, he's not staying out on that field. You know, Sean Payton's going to pull him. He's going to send Taysom Hill out there because he knows he has Taysom Hill. Uh, at least I would, I would certainly expect that. And so I don't think you're going to see the intercept. And even still, again, expecting 30 interceptions from him again is just ridiculous. Like you can't expect that, considering that he never threw more than 20 any other year of his career, and. We've seen the Saints win a Super Bowl with a 20, you we know, with a, what was it, a total of 22 interceptions for Drew Brees that season. So, like, we've seen the Saints be successful with that 15 to 20 interception range at their starting quarterback position. And we have seen Jameis Winston far more, uh, far more than not throw fewer than 20 interceptions throughout his career in fact every time except for the 130 interception season so i think that it, it is very interesting to see the way that Jameis winston gets sort of projected out there because there's no middle ground for him it's either he's this dark horse mvp like you mentioned they talked about it inside the nfl if i remember correctly or, or around the nfl and then uh or he's you know 24th in the nfl but the fact of the matter is that he's probably at his floor 16, 17, you know what I mean? At his absolute floor. And I think you take that because even in a season where he throws 30 interceptions, he's throwing for 5,000 yards and you're scoring like crazy. It's just that Tampa didn't have a run game to help, first of all, mitigate some of those interceptions. And he didn't have a uh, successful enough offensive line to keep pressure off of Jameis Winston. Both of those should not be the case in New Orleans.
0: And his defense put him in a lot of holes.
1: Ton of holes.
0: So he was forced to throw heavily in a lot of second halves where he was getting 20, 25 attempts in the second half alone.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And and so I think that that pressure won't be there from a week
1: to week basis. That's a really good point. He threw more in second halves most of the time than on a per game basis the Saints want to throw. (laughs) Period. Right. Like the Saints would rather, as we've talked about before, they found the most success when on a season. Uh, you know, seasonally, if you break it out to where they run greater than 35% of the time. The Saints don't want to throw 30, 36, 40 passes per game. They can and they have, but that's not where they want to be. This is a team that wants to run and wants to be balanced. And
0: I, I Certainly, we've talked about them being a bit more conservative because of the defense this year right? And, and, and maximizing the run game. I think when you look at Alvin Kamara this year, adding the 17th game, mm-hmm. the fact that he had seven games last season without a touchdown. Right, and and really uh, because and one of those he missed. So it's six right. games on the field without a touchdown, and one game where he didn't play. So seven games total, twenty-one touchdowns last season. <laughs> so in those other games, if you give him his average for the rest of those games across those eight, he's challenging for the single season touchdown record right. of thirty-one. I think with 17 games and with a Jameis Winston who is more likely to utilize him than Taysom Hill was, Mm -hmm. I think Alvin can contend. I think he, he's the dark horse MVP candidate. That's exactly
1: right. That's exactly what I said. I think that like, if, if there's anybody on that new Orleans Saints team that challenges for an MVP award next season, I know it's a quarterback award, but even let's just say offensive player of the year, it's Alvin Kamara coming back after a phenomenal 2021. And then you give him a a game plan that should be more run-focused and a 17th game, he should be the guy that's going to challenge potentially for MVP talk, if nothing else, Offensive Player of the Year.
0: You add back in his red zone carries, if he gets more right. of those this season, which we think he will, and I think he'll catch more touchdowns out of the backfield this season, um, particularly in the red zone where he does so much good work.
1: Yeah, and he'll line up in the slot a lot more this season, I would imagine, too, if Jameis Winston is the quarterback. And honestly, also, if Taysom Hill is the quarterback, just to make sure that Taysom Hill utilizes him as a pass-catching threat because he has some trouble or had some trouble last year. We can't project that forward, right? They can Mm -hmm. fix that over the course of camp. But they had some trouble with Taysom Hill throwing passes to Alvin Kamara out of the backfield. If you use Alvin Kamara out of the slot a little bit more, like you saw in 2017, you could see that end up mitigating, even if Taysom Hill ends up being the starting quarterback. And then getting him some more touches in the passing game.
0: Yeah. You know, when you look at the guys who do, who are at the top of that all time single season rushing list, I mean, touchdown list, it's guys who are able to do it in multiple ways the Ladanian right. Tomlinson's, the Priest Holmes. Yep. And, and Tate, I mean, and Calvin is certainly in that group as far Absolutely. as talent, ability, um, and production. So I mean, you could see this being, though he doesn't need a breakout year. I think right. this is the year that he could potentially jump into from NFL star to in that area where you start talking about him with the the dominant backs in this
1: league. Yeah, absolutely. The only requirement on his end is is not even really requirement on his end, but the thing that will be necessary, of course, is him staying healthy. If he's able to do that, I expect him to have an incredible 2021 season.
0: Um the Saints made some signings this week. Uh Lorenzo Neal Jr um in the past week at D tackle. Ken Crawley is back in the defensive backfield. Woo. Quentin Polling, another veteran um at linebacker. Not a, not an experienced veteran that's right. a right. bunch of on field, but three years in the league now. And um Eric Burrell, um rookie defensive back out of Wisconsin. What do you like about these signings and where do you see these guys
1: filling roles, particularly with Crawley and Burrell? Yeah. So Burrell I, I watch out for as a guy that the, the Saints have a big need right now that nobody's talking about which is a special teamer to replace Justin Hardy and Eric Burrell before he became the starting safety at Wisconsin he was a special teamer that's what he did he was a core special teamer he was an outstanding special teamer and played extremely well in coverage particularly in punt coverage and, and, and in kick coverage I talked to him not too long ago he actually was on locked on Saints and we talked a little bit about his drive and why he you know cares so much about special teams and he talked about how Like, look, that's my way to get into the NFL year. Like, regardless of what production I had at the safety position in college, special teams is the spot where I can earn a where I can earn a roster spot. And he takes it very seriously. And so he. That's where I look for him uh, to to be able to potentially carve out a spot for himself. It's going to be a little bit tough just because the safety room is so packed right now with the New Orleans Saints. It's probably one of their three strongest position groups with Marcus Williams and uh, and, and Malcolm Jenkins, of course. But then you've also got C.J. Gardner-Johnson. You've also got J.T. Gray. I mean, like the, the numbers are there, the players are there, as well as guys like P.J. Williams, who account just as much as a safety as he accounts as a as as a cornerback so there are there's a big it's a big room it's a full room so he'd have to work pretty hard in order to be able to get a roster spot there but I definitely watch out for him there Um, a guy like Lorenzo Neal he is somebody that has really, really good explosiveness off the defensive line. He went undrafted for a reason, though. He's just raw. He's young. But he's the son of former New Orleans St. Lorenzo Neal Sr. He and Jalen McCleskey now teammates right now over the course of training camp. Jalen, of course, the son of J.J. McCleskey. They, he and Lorenzo Neal were teammates back in 94 to 96. So pretty cool stuff to see them there. But I I, I will keep an eye on him because I do think he's a talented player. He's extremely disruptive in the, in, in the run game in particular and he can be disruptive in the interior as a pass rusher as well so i mean if the saints are still looking to figure out more spots uh there for the defensive line he could be the next guy taylor Stallworth uh did it Shai Tuttle did it. Malcolm Roach did it. Now maybe Lorenzo Neal Jr. Can do it. Quentin Poling is somebody that comes in probably as a bit of a special teamer as well. He's only got five special team snaps in the NFL, all five of them coming with the Oakland Raiders back in 2019, but he left Ohio University as the leader in all time and tackles at 219 and tackles for a loss with 45. So he's somebody that's been very active, played a little bit of Sam linebacker, but they tend to look at him right now as a Mike slash Will, mostly because of the fact that that's what the Saints utilize linebackers for <laughs> at the this point right if you come in as a sam linebacker you're probably rushing standing up off the edge for them as an additional pass rusher more than anything else so you know he has somebody that has probably also added a lot of tools to his game because this is his fifth nfl team at this point so you add tools to your belt so that you become more marketable it's probably one of the reasons why the saints ended up looking and, and bringing him in uh and then um with who else should i discuss here is there anybody that I missed? No, that's- Actually, yeah. did I hit
0: everybody? King Crawley.
1: Oh, King Crawley, of course. Yeah, King Crawley is somebody that brings you like veteran depth, that's familiar with the system, that knows the system well. He only played seven coverage snaps last season, so it's hard to look at him and say that he has had some type of a big leap or improvement or anything like that. But he did see playing time last year over on the defensive side, but most mostly he spent time as a special teamer, and that's something that I think the Saints will continue to utilize. I don't think King Crawley comes in and challenges Paul Sinadivo, or for that matter, Patrick Robinson, to be the starting corner opposite Marshawn Lattimore or any other veteran that the Saints managed to bring in, should they decide to go that route?
0: When we talk about Lorenzo Neal, does he does he feel more like somebody who ends up on the practice squad this season to develop some secondary moves, um the same way? I mean, uh, you know, when you when you take a, a project in your first round on the defensive line, and mm-hmm. and and yeah, we we a lot of potential there, but sure, pro- it ha- there's going to be some things like we, um, with. Uh, developing moves with the getting that understanding of the run game with Lorenzo Neal. Does he feel physically and mentally as somebody who could be somebody on the practice squad develop? And maybe if there's a need over the course of the season, somebody who could get a a call up.
1: That's exactly what I would see with him. I mean, he feels like a prime practice squad candidate that could potentially see playing time during the season the Saints have, you know, Ryan Glasgow is somebody that could slide in on the defensive line. He played well for them last year but also missed time. And so if that were to happen again, then all of a sudden you have these practice squad players that you can call up depending upon how they modify the practice squad player rules going into 2020 one. But of course, with the 17th game, I expect most of that stuff to stay active to make sure that there are additional players that can rotate in all of that. So yeah, I would definitely look at him as somebody that has some really good development potential. I'd say the same thing for Eric Burrell as well. Even if he can't carve out a role on the 53-man roster, if he shows enough, then he could be somebody to hold a special teams. Oh, excuse me, a practice squad spot.
0: Wait, you talked about Paul Cittadevo. Um Do you think he's penciled in right now as a starting left
1: corner? That, that they expect this from him? I think as of right now, it's he doesn't have much of a choice <laughs> because there's not really another option. And even with Patrick Robinson in the building, who who I really truly honestly think is the guy that should be penciled in right now at cornerback two opposite Marshall Lattimore. It might not be the most ideal situation or anything like that, but look, you need, you don't know what you have in Paulson Adibo yet. You have to see, I mean, he's, he was one of my favorite corners in this class. He's somebody that was a third-tier corner of tiers of pairs, so it's not that big of a you know drop to say a third-tier corner on uh, Jeff Ireland's list when he talked to Jeff Duncan. And I'm sure he didn't mention Caleb Farley, but I'm sure Caleb Farley was in there somewhere. But they were looking at Paul Sinadibo and Eric Stokes kind of on the same level. And both of those guys have the ability to come in a challenge for a starting role. And that's exactly what Jeff Ireland mentioned as well. But they want to see him get his confidence back to where it was in 2018 when he had an outstanding season then he came back in 2019 struggled a little bit particularly in two games where he allowed a couple of touchdowns and then he came back to the 2022 or for the 2020 collegiate season because he wanted to prove his draft value but then ended up opting out once the pandemic came in but pre-pandemic he was planning on going back and trying to raise his draft stock, and they liked that a lot about him. So the opt out means a lot less to them than the fact that he wanted to go back and compete some more to raise his draft value. So those things I think all factor in, but one of the things they want to see is his confidence get back up there, but they like his size, his ball skills, his instincts, his awareness, all those other things that kind of check boxes in terms of what it is that the Saints like at that cornerback position. So if he can show that he can develop those instincts into the next level, and if he can get that confidence back to where it was in 2018, and he proves to be somebody that can go out there and feels like that they can start week one. Then you'll definitely see him do that. But I wouldn't pencil him in just yet, especially if they're still in the market for a start for a veteran corner.
0: That market veteran corner and I think wide receiver is someplace that they still would like some bodies. I don't mm-hmm. know if they go for a there are some there's some names out there still on the market. You know, yeah. guys like Golden Tate is still mm-hmm. out there. Um But I I think the Saints are more confident in what they have in the receiver room than other folks around the NFL are who don't ever in what I've read and what I've seen ever consider the fact that these receivers, these young receivers will be utilized in a different way than they were with Drew Brees in a way that may cater to their talents more, more bubble screens, more plays down the field, more, more crossing routes, things like that. I think you're going to see more deep crosses with the Saints and these young guys have an opportunity
1: yeah absolutely i think that the wide receiver room if they walked into 2021 with it as it is they would be perfectly comfortable with that traequan smith has yet to be able to serve the role that they drafted him for which is that z receiver flanker deep threat over on the opposite side they also have marquis calloway who averaged 21.2 yards per catch in his final season at tennessee and showed great promise during the 2020 season, uh, Deontay Harris continued to grow into an offensive role. They drafted Kawan Baker, who is just electrifying with the ball out of a ball in his hands. He's basically a Kadarius Tony that just went to a much smaller school. I mean, 11 rushing touchdowns, 16 receiving touchdowns. Great after the catch runs like a linebacker, runs linebacker. Excuse me, runs like a running back and runs linebackers over in contact. I mean, he, he's he's he has a lot of potential. He has a ton of potential. And then, of course, you look at a guy like even Jalen McCleskey, who's a big time speed guy i mean even if he doesn't end up being somebody that contributes in a in, a, in an offensive role he's somebody that steals a wide receiver spot because of what he can do on special teams so there's a lot of opportunities for those players all over the place and i think what folks don't consider when it comes to the wide receiver position is that they're looking at the names of the receivers and that's it they're not looking at the skill sets they're not looking at the tool belt they're not looking at the way that sean payton schemes his receivers that's why sean payton's offenses are so successful because he schemes receivers it isn't anything that he does with the quarterback i mean obviously he has a great relationship with the quarterback and he builds the offense along with the quarterback there's open communication all those other things there's a partnership there that i think lends itself to being a quarterback friendly system but what lends itself to being a quarterback friendly system is how well Sean Payton schemes wide receivers. So you don't need the big names. You don't need another Emmanuel Sanders. You don't need a golden Tate. You don't need these other players there to say, oh, look at the names that they have when Sean Payton is the name that draws everything up for them.
0: And they've been successful with one, you know, name receiver and guys as, you know, as the NFL may look at it on the Mm -hmm. opposite side, because none of the guys during the, the, what we would call the prime breeze run, Nobody on that opposite side made a pro bowl. No. You know, nobody on that opposite side was was a, somebody that you thought of. No, there were no other 1000-yard receivers. Devery Henderson, no. uh, you know, they were they were they were complementary receivers and that's fine. You don't have to have Odell Beckham Jr. and Travis Land- uh Jarvis Landry on your um receiving core to be successful and the Saints have done it year after year. That when the Giants were winning Super Bowls. Who was, you know, Plaxico Burris was on the back end of his career for the first one. The second group of receivers, there wasn't a star amongst them,
1: Mm-mm. but
0: they made catches in the clutch. And that's right. all you're looking for is guys can, who can make timely catches and keep moving the chains. And when you have Michael Thomas and when you have Alvin Kamara, you have two elite receiving threats already.
1: Right. Absolutely. And you have a tight end room that has a lot of promise with a guy like Adam Troutman too. So you have these contributors all over the place. And it's sort of like looking at I kind of think about the secondary in the same way. I would rather have a group of a a secondary that's a bunch of C pluses than to have like one A plus and a few D's. You know what I mean? Like I'd rather have something that balances out. And the Saints are in a unique position because of how they scheme up their offense and how they utilize these running backs that they have two A plus options in Michael Thomas and in Alvin Kamara. And at worst, amongst these other receiving options, they're probably sitting around like C grades, if you will, in that they're unproven and so they're generally average by that, by that, that that rate. And so I think that those guys also end up proving themselves a little bit more, being given more opportunities, and they haven't been given more opportunities. Ted Ginn Jr. was ahead of them. Emmanuel Sanders was ahead of them. Like, we can't rule these receivers out because we don't know what they are yet, but you don't have to rely on them either. And that's the thing that's really nice. It's a luxury for the New Orleans Saints. It's hard to rely on an unproven option, but you're not going to. You're going to rely on your A-plus proven superstars in Alvin Kamara and in Michael Thomas. But these other guys, you can't count out just like you can't lean on them where they are right now as unproven options.
0: If you can get multiple receivers outside of Michael Thomas to get 40 catches, 40 Mm -hmm. catches. I think the saints are in a good position. Yep. Uh, Going to the defensive side of all back, back to that side, Pete Warner, people are really high on him. Mm -hmm. And um, do you feel like that rotation now with, um, you know, having, Mm -hmm. Uh, Demario Davison uh, as your your lead linebacker, does he move in his position to accommodate what Pete Warner's skill set is because he's more adaptable to play inside or outside with, uh, for Demario and allow Pete to do the things that he does well and then use Zach Bond as that situational pass rusher at linebacker? Do you feel like that those three now become your primary rotation at linebacker?
1: yeah as of right now that's that's definitely your rotation i think chase hansen has the ability to get in there as well the saints really like him Uh, undrafted free agent former safety out of utah from two years ago Uh, got a little bit of opportunity particularly in camp last year and they really like what they saw in him. but i do think that you'll see a little bit of rotation in terms of who has what assignments between demario davis and pete warner i think that they have a really valuable opportunity here to be able to shift their responsibilities play in and play out to help to disguise their defense with both these players. So you have two extremely smart players and you have two players that can do a little bit of everything. Uh, Demario Davis probably has more elite traits, particularly his ability to react, his click and close, his reaction, his pursuit. All those things are elite level. I mean, he was an all pro two seasons ago for a reason. And then you look at Pete Werner and he's kind of good at everything, right? He's not somebody that has an elite thing except I would actually argue that his pursuit and his ability to rush the passer is actually really 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 good from the second level so that would be something I would watch out for and the Saints do that often I mean they blitz that linebacker next to Mario Davis about 17% of the time nearly a quarter or let's say nearly a fifth of the snaps that they're out there for so I think that that's one of the things that you like about Pete Werner he's a, he's a reliable tackler as well uh, and he's somebody that can drop back into coverage he has the athleticism and the size to carry a tight end up the scene, which is going to be necessary in the NFC South. So I think that, you know, you'll see those roles kind of rotate a little bit. But yes, I do think it's Demario Davis, Pete Werner, and then Zach Bond getting into the mix, particularly as you mentioned as maybe a pass rusher or in base defense when they need a Sam linebacker, who again is probably going to rush the passer more than anything else. I could see them definitely moving ahead with those three as of right now.
0: I I think it gives the Saints some flexibility because they are going to have to generate a little bit more pass rush this season, protect those Mm -hmm. corners by doing so. And I don't think it'll be blitz heavy like a Tampa, but certainly if these guys are individually and Warner has um, that, like you said, that ability both to rush the passer, to tackle, to to run across the field, which is so important for the saints. Right. uh, And, and, and understands defending the run. That is such a huge, important part of this because the saints are going to have to rely on their run defense again to protect that pass rush.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I do think that this is a team that will continue to focus in on, you know, being a run stopping team and everything. I would gladly trade a little bit of that for pass defense over on the on over on the backside. And even if that also means pass rush, right, to help, as you mentioned, uh, sort of supplement the passing defense on the back end so I, I'm with you 100 on that but yeah I do think this is going to be a team that continues to focus on their ability as a run stopping team and hey with some of the opponents that are're going to play this season that'll be necessary I mean Aaron Jones to open up the season Christian McCaffrey pretty soon right there thereafter you can go to uh, Tennessee the added opponent that they have I think it's the week 10 game uh with derrick Henry I mean you know you'll have all of those running backs and more that you'll have to be able to uh that you'll have to be able to stop and in some of those cases you stop the running back then you win the game i mean like it works out that simply for some of those teams particularly um tennessee and potentially even carolina with sam darnold now under center so
0: yeah absolutely and i I think it'll be very um the the start of the season will tell a lot because it'll tell us what their floor is and that's what we're really trying to find out is what's the saints floor because those players that they bring in all have potential but that probably won't get hit until the Mm -hmm. back half of the season
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right. I mean, some of these teams are still going to be figuring out their identity early and for the saints, It's kind of nice that they collide with many of those teams early on. Green Bay is going to be kind of in that presence, depending upon how things resolve with Aaron Rodgers. Carolina will certainly be that way. New England will certainly be that way. Any of the NFC East teams will be that way, and they'll play two of them in the first five weeks. So I think that for the Saints, they'll have time themselves to figure out their identity while playing against teams that might struggle to find their own, which is actually a pretty good situation for New Orleans because then they'll have the bye week at week six. Shout out Jazz Fest. And then they'll have that tough week seven through week 13 stretch that starts off with uh, Monday Night Football against Seattle in Seattle.
0: Yeah, that that game right there is always difficult. Going to Seattle is never fun Um, at the cornerback position. Are there targets still with veterans who the Saints are working on? Um, Do they feel like they still have some some major holes or are they just trying now to plug in things and see where they are and maybe you see some more moves once you get into camp once you get closer to camp and start identifying those problems then
1: yeah i i think that jeff ireland mentioned that the drafting the selection of paulson Adebo, although they like him does not check a must box just yet, right? Does not check the must box just yet. So it feels like they're still in the market for a veteran. And there are some good options there. I mean, there were two on the on the market last year that would have made sense for them that could still make sense for them. Uh, Darquise Denard, as well as Dre Kirkpatrick. Uh, you can look at Steven Nelson out of Pittsburgh. I know Richard Sherman has been connected to the team, but we haven't seen that too much movement on that, aside from Richard Sherman talking about it on his Twitch streams and things like that and being a little upset with New Orleans saying that. Oh, they don't need to be like all these other things. So we'll see exactly how that ends up. But one of his suitors ended up coming off the, you know, ends up no longer being in the market with Las Vegas, having signed Casey Hayward, who would have been like my dream scenario for the saints in terms of if they were going to sign somebody, I'd love Casey Hayward. Uh, Brashad Breeland could be another option for them. If they want to go a little bit younger, they go with Steven Nelson, as we mentioned earlier, who's like 28 Gary on Conley. who's only, I think 26, if I remember correctly, uh, they could get another first round Ohio state cornerback with him. And he actually played pretty well. Well, after he ended up in Houston, and then he ended up being on injured reserve throughout 2020. So you could imagine a pretty cheap contract there. The thing for the Saints is that like the longer that they wait, the more they learn about Paulson Adebo, the more they figure out about the Marshawn Lattimore situation and the cheaper the contracts get. The longer that they wait and of course the the opposite side of that coin is that they could potentially be signed away elsewhere but as of right now it looks like a lot of teams are mostly focused on who they have in the building and making sure that they're able to you know go out there and and get ready for OTAs here so I think the Saints will continue to take their time I say that and watch them like sign a cornerback tomorrow but you know I think that they'll continue to take their time and they'll make the decision when they feel like the decision is most right for them to make, which is a monetary conversation, as they sit with only three hundred and seventy-four thousand dollars in salary cap space right now. So there's also the: Do they extend Marcus Williams? Do they extend Ryan Ramcheck Shore up those two those two positions uh, for their future and then also create some salary cap space for themselves to be able to utilize now those are all possible but then it depends too like garyon conley maybe comes in on a vet minimum and then he doesn't affect your books at all because he sits outside of your top 51 or at least knocks somebody that's worth 75 percent of his contract out of the top 51 so there's a lot of different ways the saints can go about this and one of the reasons why they're probably not rushing to figure it out because it gives them time to learn what they have in the building They
0: never operate
1: out of desperation at all. So
0: I don't think that they chase anybody in particular. They'll see if the price is right and if the fit is right. And if it's not, they keep moving. Um, They've entered seasons with holes before and found ways to fill them over the course Mm -hmm. of the year. So I would expect that Sean Payton is still looking at it in that regard.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at the 2017 season. Like, that's what the 2017 season was. Like, one of the reasons why that draft class ended up being as great as it was was because of their ability to be able to produce immediately because they had no choice. (laughs) They had had to. They had to go out there and produce, you know? Like, you know, they drafted Ryan Ramchick, and what happened? Like, immediately, Zach Streif is out for the season. And then all of a sudden, Ryan Ramchick jumps in, and he's a, you know, perennial all-pro. And now we're talking about him potentially being one of the highest-paid tackles once he gets his extension, you know? Alvin Kamara is probably the exception right like he came in to a running back room that was stacked up already not stacked in terms of talent but was very much occupied with guys like mark Ingram and, and a hall of famer and adrian peterson and he pushed adrian peterson out of the facility like alvin kamara is just special but marshall Lattimore was the same way he didn't have a choice he had to come in and perform because the saints for three seasons struggled to figure out an answer at the cornerback position all of a sudden marshall Lattimore sitting pretty for them there at pick 11 overall and then all of a sudden he becomes the key starter. Alex Anzalone, same thing, although he ended up getting injured. And then Trey Hendrickson took time to really develop over time. al Muhammad, of course, ended up elsewhere. But, I mean, most of those players that ended up producing out of that 2017 season did so because they had to.
0: Do you think that there are other veterans on the defensive line that the Saints maybe go after at the tackle position? And then with the, those two um, guys, Marcus Williams and Ryan Ramczyk how what's the probability of them getting extensions before camp
1: yeah i think that to start with those extensions obviously it's it's a two-way street right like the saints have to be able to offer a contract that they're comfortable with and that the player wants right and the agent is okay with and all these other things so it, it it's tough to sort of like project where they are right now but i wouldn't be surprised to see them not have an extension in place until they get to camp that's often typically the way that this team operates you look at Drew Brees, you look at Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, even hell, uh, Demario Davis signed his contract week two, right right before the second week of the season. Like the Saints are never in a rush to get this done because they don't want to rush these contracts. And if you think about how well this team operates in their front office, particularly from a contractual standpoint, that doesn't happen overnight. That takes time for, you know, for these guys to be able to build these contracts. You know, Kai Harley, uh, Mickey Lewis, but mostly Kai Harley building these contracts and being able to do all this like that. That takes time. It doesn't just happen the first pass, you know, and so you have all these things you have to figure out, but the Saints are usually not in a rush to do that. And they tend to say, oh, we'll just wait until we're in training camp, literally because we'll be in the building, (laughs) you know, and you see that happen all the time with other teams. The Chargers operate the same way. You saw Joey Bosa not sign his new contract. Joey Bosa, the Bosa brother that's in in Mm -hmm. L.A., thank you. um, End up signing his contract the first day of training camp last season like we see this all the time and so I wouldn't be surprised to see the Saints go that same route and not really rush into it as for other defensive tackles in particular that are on the market Quan short could be an interesting option familiar with the teams in the NFC South the Saints tend to like that Um, I wish I could think of somebody that's on the market right now that's from a local college Mm -hmm. because that seems to be where the Saints have really focused here recently. They keep bringing in folks that are within the community, that are you know within Louisiana, because it gives them an opportunity to see them. They have the opportunity there to not have to travel them. They can talk to the coaches face to face. They can go and see the players face to face. All these other things. But there are other obvious you know options on the market as well. Geno Atkins is one of them. Mike Daniels could be somebody that could hit that could be you know interesting again. Damon Harrison still on the market if I remember correctly. So there's there's a ton of options for them there uh, but they're you know they're older veteran options they're not really a lot of young defensive tackle options out there outside of those that came in undrafted and so that's why I wasn't surprised to see the Lorenzo Neal signing because it made sense that they would look to focus at defensive tackle but there's not a lot of young options available out there the Saints also operate in a really good situation to where they have a rotation in play already so they don't need you know a, a, a 40 to 50 play starter For every game there, they've got David Onyemata for them. They're looking for somebody that's going to rotate with shy Tuttle with Malcolm Brown, even Tano Pastino, who has the ability to play on the inside and did it a ton with Kansas City. So I think they're in a pretty good position, but I wouldn't surprise wouldn't be surprised to see them continue to focus on it, especially if David Onyemata isn't going to shift entirely over to a pass rushing three tech.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine that they'd go for somebody who if they're a veteran who can give you 10 to 15 quality snaps,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely,
0: and, and, and that's why if you had a guy, and I'm just using Geno Atkins because he's the, probably the most name mm-hmm. uh, rec- name recognition player on that list. If it were three years ago, yeah, Geno Atkins might be your starter on the defensive <laughs> line. But today, yeah, if he could give you 15 snaps, hold the line at the you know, and or collapse the pocket a couple of times uh, that with that size and that experience, I think that that would be something that the Saints would be interested in. But again, like you, we keep going back to that is just there's never a rush. Right. There's never a rush. They are content to coach up, to figure out who they've got. And then from the position that they're in, look and see who do I have enough leverage to bring in and who will fit what I'm doing. And yeah. so I, I, I don't get panicked. And, and I just see so many of these things where people say the saints didn't do enough this off season. And I just, their evaluations of their own players have been pretty accurate. They do not overvalue their own right. players
1: right yeah absolutely this is a team that shifted drastically in terms of its acquisition process beginning in the 2017 season i.e when they started winning uh or got back to winning but 2015 and 2016 you saw a lot of these like big signings and trying to like quickly gap uh fill gaps with players you know the brandon browner signing of course comes to mind in that scenario the um the the move for um oh my goodness um Oh, I can't remember his name, but the linebacker, not James Laurinaitis, but they had brought in another linebacker who was great when he was healthy, but was hardly healthy. And so, you know, you saw them do, uh, you, you know, make a lot of those types of moves that were, you know, these big benchmarking moments and they don't do that anymore. Right. This is a team that has shifted its focus to in-house every answer from Sean Payton about, you know, whether or not, if you give him the option to say, do you feel like the answer is in the facility? He's going to say yes. You know, and that answer could be a, uh, multiple players that answer could be one player there's so many different ways this team has the ability to approach what they have this is not a 53 man roster right now this is still an 86 84 somewhere around there man roster at this time with the potential to get up to 90 right this is not a roster right now that is any in any hurry to figure itself out there is ample time We still have an off period (laughs) before training camp even gets here, right? We've got to get through OTAs, mandatory minis, and then we have this break. And so this is not a team that's going to be in a rush to figure things out.
0: What's the next challenge or uh, on the horizon for the Saints on the schedule? And how much does the shortened preseason, do you think when we get to that, impact that player evaluation?
1: Well, it's interesting because I think that because they had no preseason last year it actually kind of helps that they had no preseason last year because at least they get a preseason back right three games is worse than having four games yes but it's better than having zero and so i think that that becomes a part of you know it's kind of like all the rookies that came in last year and you know were asked hey was it weird having you know this kind of off season the way that it was and everything and then uh and then they basically responded by saying Well, I don't really know what it's like otherwise, you know, so, you know, so for them, it ends up being, you know, just another part of the process sort of, and it's better than what they had last season. But I do think that the next big thing for them is going to be mandatory mini camps. I don't think that the Saints are going to rush to being on field at all. The Saints didn't do that with the rookie minis. They spent most of that time classroom installation, implementation, getting familiar with the playbook, getting familiar with personnel groupings, play calls, all these other things. That was sort of where they focused i could see them continue to focus on that throughout otas but maybe get outside a little bit and then mandatory minis i think would be the times where you see maybe a little bit more action right it's it's not it's not full contact it's not full speed it's none of that but you might see some more drills things like that that come from from mandatory mini camps because then you'll have everybody there or at least a majority of players there. I don't know if they're going to keep it down to 70 like some other NFL teams are doing or if they're going to go full 90 right off the bat, if they're going to rotate, however, or split day or, or whatever like they did last season. So we'll see what it does. But mandatory minis is kind of what I'm most interested to see. And that that happens in the middle of June to see what that ends up looking like for them.
0: And, and I don't think we're worried about any injuries or players who, who are not going to show up for mandatory Mini minicamp.
1: Not at this point, no. I mean, the, the players that ended up You know, injured at the end of the season last year. I mean, you know, the biggest one was probably Quan Alexander, who's not on a team right now. He could be somebody that ends up seeing himself back in New Orleans at some point. But I don't know now that they've drafted Pete Werner. I think they're really comfortable with Pete Werner. I think he does everything well enough that they feel like he's pro ready and that he can go out there and make and have uh, an impact for this team. So, well, somebody, somebody would have to know get hurt that, for
0: Quan to come back. Yeah, at this point.
1: I would think so. Yeah, I would think so. But yeah, no, there's nobody else out there that's really, you know, oh, are they going to make it back for camp conversation? Like we're talking about with like a Dak Prescott or a Joe Burrow or anything like that for this team.
0: The last thing is on that camp issue, I think one of the advantages that the Saints have is when you have a coach like Sean Payton who teaches technique and a staff that teaches technique and Mm -hmm. focuses on the mental part so much, they learned during that lack of camp how to get more out of less time. And I think when you have a coach like that who spends so much on strategy and so much on player development, it's not about the hitting. It's not about having guys make that contact. So when you get more time, And you're you're individualizing these reps rather than forcing, hey, we got to get all the reps for Drew. All the reps are for Drew. We got to get him on target and no, but no physical contact. So you change the way that offense was preparing. Well, now these guys have this offseason, a legitimate offseason with Jameis and with Taysom and then come in to camp. I think that that will be able to accelerate what the Saints do, because I think they'll be more familiar and have a better idea of multitasking in a shorter amount of time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, this 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 team did a very, very good job preparing their players last season and even the rookies. And look, I know Cesar Ruiz, you know, struggled a bit. I know Zach Bond didn't really see the field much, but, you know, Cesar Ruiz progressed and got much better throughout the season. Adam Troutman, you can see what exactly what it was they wanted him to do. But their biggest thing with Adam Troutman, I know he only had, you know, over 100, just over 100 receiving yards. But the big goal with Adam Chapman was to get him up to speed as a blocker. And he was fantastic as a blocker in 2020. So they really did a good job with him getting new players acclimated. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders had to carry a ton of weight last year, and they only had the offseason to get him up to speed there. Plus the first couple of games of the season since they didn't have a preseason and they did a good job with that. So I think that this is a team that has learned how to just like you mentioned, maximize the time that they'll have with these players in and outside of the facility. That's why they don't mind doing this stuff in you know classroom environments or zoom classroom environments because they figured out how to do it. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the Saints be one of the teams that keeps that. Moving forward, because, you know, you had fewer soft tissue injuries, fewer concussions, fewer offseason injuries, fewer offseason player losses, you're able to walk in with the starting 22 players that you expected to walk in with at the beginning of last season. And I think the Saints will want to be able to do that again, barring, of course, things outside of injury conversation and everything. But I think the Saints are will be in a good place regardless because of the experience that they got last season and by doing it voluntarily. Remember, the Saints didn't, you know, they were the first team to really say, "Y'all just go away and come back ready for camp. You know, <laughs> because Sean Payton dealt with it himself and he understood like he had an experience, you know, he had his COVID experience and didn't want to give anybody else the opportunity or, or the chance to have to deal with that. And then also didn't want to put, Families in situations were asking all these questions and had all of these unanswered questions at him. So he was just like, go home and we'll see you at training camp. And then they made, a, they figured out a way to make it work. They did it upon their own volition. So there was no, um, uh coercion no yeah you know, it was
0: their yeah, adaptation. Like nobody was
1: mad about it <laughs> you know what i mean like oh the nfl made us do this no they chose to do it and that put them in a much better situation in terms of how to handle it
0: yeah you didn't see the non-contact injuries uh the the major injuries last season were all caused by gameplay whether it was mike thomas getting hurt or whether whomever right. they were in-game injuries. And, and, and those you can't just account for. You can't do right. anything about that. But you didn't see anybody lo- lost for the season, really, you know, in, in training camp. As we see right. so many teams or we saw so a big rash of injuries across the league last year. That didn't happen in New Orleans. And it's it's almost like Sean Payton learned from, uh, I don't know if you, you know this coach. I'm sure you do. John Gagliardi.
1: Who yes. Yeah. Was one
0: of the winningest coaches in college football who never hit, mm-hmm. never in practice. One more game than anybody else, never hit in practice. And it was about the mental and it was about technique. And I think that's where the Saints are. They're elevating through the science, through their research and their understanding players. We don't have to destroy these guys' bodies.
1: Right, no, and you can see that all the time, right? Like their, their work with Zebra Technologies, their, the work with Drew Brees with the you know the flak jacket that, that got built for him. Like they're always interested in building technology around this team and, and tracking player movement, tracking player. You know, the only player that ended up not available at the beginning of last season was Yokiko know, Kiko Alonso, who didn't come around after the end of the season before, then they traded him for Quan Alexander anyway, and then Noah Spence, who got hurt preparing for training camp in his own set of training. He's still with the team though. So
0: and Kiko I mean, Alonso has
1: an injury, injury history. He had an yes, injury. Yes, big time. Yeah, oh. absolutely. Absolutely. And so you look at what the Saints have done and you listen to the vocabulary that they use. What's the thing that they always say? They always talk about football IQ intelligence that they put on the field. They care very much about the mentals. You need to be able to execute the game plan. You need to be able to execute on the field. But all of that for them starts in the classroom.
0: Absolutely. I think the Saints are in a great position right now. Um, let the Like you said, let the league sleep. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. But today... You have to feel really confident about this team, not necessarily saying they're going to win the Super Bowl. I don't think anybody's no, going to no, no. say that today. Who knows yeah. what happens over the course of a season. But you you still have to feel like this team is in a position to fill, fill the holes it has. But what you, if they don't, if, no, if there are no other additions to this roster going into training camp, you still feel like this is a
1: very competitive team. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They'll find a way to continue to compete. I still think this is a double-digit win team, and this is a team in playoff contention. I, I still very much think that that's the case for them. I cool off the Super Bowl expectations like we've had over the past few seasons, of course, just as you mentioned. But this is still a 10-win playoff team to me.
0: And you never know. I mean, you just don't know how it comes mm-hmm. together at the end of this season. It Right. All you have to do is be hot. And and that's been the unfortunate thing for the Saints is they couldn't play hot football in the postseason. They might right. Who knows? Yeah, and and, and that's exciting, you <clears throat> know. Excuse me, in and of itself, that you just don't know with this team, and for the first time, to not have a certain level of expectation, is an exciting position to be in as a fan and as an observer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You get to just sit back. <laughs> well, let me not say relax, but you get fans to sit don't back. Yeah, yeah, there's no relaxing. There's no relaxing in this culture, but uh, but you do just get to sit back and see how it all plays out, and then watch the team move forward in 2022 with more or potentially reevaluate if they need to. Like, this is a very smart front office and a very smart coaching staff. That's not going to just accidentally make the wrong decision.
0: (laughs) And the greatest (laughs) thing
1: is that they have no pressure. Right. There's no urgency for Sean Payton because he's not
0: getting fired at the end of this year. There's Mm -hmm. no chance that Mickey Loomis is gone. There's no chance that, you know, that there's a major overhaul with the core of this team because those guys are legitimate, you know, under contract. So you have the core of this roster still in in, in effect. So I I think that that's a a mentally for going into work every day and knowing even if we finish with nine wins and go nine and eight, it's not a disaster. It's not something that's going to change the whole face of the franchise or the look of it. It's, it's an opportunity and that's what the saints have this year is an opportunity for the first time in a long time to go in and really reestablish their identity.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that they'll take it because again, just as we started off to go full circle here, this is this is an opportunity for Sean Payton, you know, and I I don't think it's an opportunity that harms him in any way if this team doesn't work out. But it's certainly an opportunity that speaks highly of him if the team does work out with a new quarterback. And we've already seen Sean Payton. I don't want to say get excited about this is kind of the same thing that Jameis Winston said. Actually, I don't want to say he gets excited about a challenge, but he never steps. He never backs away from it. And we've not seen that before. And we won't see that here in twenty twenty one.
0: Man, another great one. Um, I appreciate your time again. Please tell the folks what you're working on because you just keep popping up so they need to be able to chase you down.
1: (laughs) I appreciate you, homie. Always a pleasure to be here with you. I love my Wednesdays. Uh, Y'all can find me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, NOLA, N-O-L-A. You can catch Locked on Saints wherever it is that you get your podcast, Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Odyssey, all of it. Uh, And there's also now uh, the Locked on Saints YouTube channel so if you want to watch the show as opposed to just listen to the show or if you're not a you know if you don't want to you want to kill some time at work you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's what I And you can leave your comments. That's uh, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, man. Right. And I, I tend to premiere them around like noon. Ob- obviously, today's going to be a little bit later, but I usually try to premiere them around noon so that I can be in the chat and interact with people while they're watching it and stuff like that. I love having conversations with folks. There. So it's just another level of interactivity that I'm really excited about. So you can find that just by searching Locked On Saints uh, on YouTube and everything's super easy to find. You can catch all the written content over at canalstreetchronicles.com and then... Uh, Uh, Every Wednesday here at the Dome Patrol uh, with uh, Hard to Paint, David Grubb. Very excited. Absolutely. And go check
0: out Canal Street Chronicles. There's some really interesting stuff on there on some players that the that Saints may be looking at, and some just the reality of the NFL. So there's some really interesting stuff there. So I advise y'all to go check that out Mm -hmm. as well. Y'all know how to get at me, at DMBrug on Instagram, Twitter, and the website H-I-T-P with DG.com. If you're listening to this on Wednesday or Thursday, I'm going to be doing um, radio in Lafayette on Wednesday 4 to 7, on 103.7 The Game, and on Friday from 4 to 7 as well. So check that out. Um, plenty to cover there. Call in, talk about whatever in the world of sports, and we'll do that. So until next Wednesday. For Ross Jackson, I am David Grubb, and we are the Dome Patrol on Heart and